so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me in the studio in a bright, blinding orange is Brent Leatherwood. That's right. It's a big week here in Tennessee. Why is it a big week? Because they're uh, going to lose a University game. Tennessee is. <laughs> that should just be normal. Look at you, just, you just, you just, you just revel in, in that. Don't I you? have no right as a Gator fan. We just have not been doing well. We got beat by Kentucky, and A and M knocked off Alabama. That's right, and and the world is a brighter place. No, no. Uh, of anytime, all people to knock off Alabama. Anytime Alabama loses. The University of Florida loses, and the University of Tennessee wins. It is a it is a brighter world that we are waking it's up not, to. It's not. It's so. not. A and M fans love them. Are just ugh. then you hear everything's bigger in Texas. Blah 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 blah. You'll never hear the end of it. But anyway, I am happy Alabama That's went right. down. So, anyways, but let's start moving on and talking about more that has been happening this week, and we'll start with what we've been featuring on erlc.com. And I'm kicking it off this week by talking about an article that you wrote, Brent, and it's titled, What's Next for the ERLC? Advancing the Kingdom and Serving Southern Baptists in the Public Square. And this article shows and highlights how, as an organization, we have not slowed down in this season, even in the midst of transition, in the midst of turmoil within the Southern Baptist Convention. Our ministry assignments remain, and our work continues to move forward. And you highlight three particular areas of focus where we have been able to see some significant, important movement. Those areas are life, public policy, and sexual abuse. So um, rather than me stealing your thunder, why don't you give us a brief overview of that article? Right. Well, so obviously we're in a season of transition and and folks have just kind of rightly asked, what, what what does it look like in the coming months for the ERLC? And the good news is we have a ton of items to be working on. And that's that's what this article uh, really centers on, is the work that is continuing at the ERLC and, and continuing with the excellence that Southern Baptists have come to expect from the ERLC. And so our, our continued advocacy uh, for the the dignity and the lives of preborn children uh, continuing to make sure that Southern Baptists are represented in the public square on issues, whether it is life or religious liberty or before the U.S. Supreme Court, 
um, and continuing to equip the church. That's something that the RLC is uh, tasked to do with the ministry assignment that the SBC has given us. And so, one really exciting area is the digital public square led by our colleague, Jason Thacker, and we hope to uh, provide all sorts of resources and assets for pastors and ministry leaders just to, to help them process and think through with the congregations that they lead uh, this really complex issue. And then finally, uh, we want to we double down on the, the work that we're doing uh, as it relates to combating uh, sexual abuse in the church. And, and so that started several years ago with the Caring Well Challenge. And, and we just want that to continue. Uh, we want to root out um, abuse within the church and and help the church really kind of think about what we have done thus far and ways that we can improve and, and equip them uh, to improve. So that way we can truly move past uh, what is nothing less than a scourge in our convention. And so, yeah, so that's really what, what it does. And that's what the article uh, hopes to accomplish because there is a lot of good kingdom honoring work uh, that is being done by your ERLC. And it reminds me of in the Psalms when David says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. And I know it's a different context, but the Lord has uh, enabled us and opened the doors for us to be able to work in these different areas and to see, like you said, important kingdom building work that ultimately helps um, glorify the Lord's name, build up the church, mature Christians, and um, be a voice for the vulnerable in the midst of our society. And that is what we want to do. And we're thankful that the Lord enables us to continue um, doing what we're doing right now in this season and and always for as long as he will uh, continue to empower us to do that. Next up is an article by Taylor Combs. He works at Lifeway. And I loved this article. It's a little bit uh, on the longer side. So if you're budgeting some time to read it, but it's really not that long. It is just a great, insightful article, and it's titled, Why Are So Many Young Adults Losing Their Faith? Prepare Students for a Faith That Stands in a Culture of Deconversion Stories. So you've probably heard of these deconversion stories. Joshua Harris stands out to me uh, as one of them and just sad and tragic. And Taylor is saying, what if part of the problem is a discipleship issue that prepares students for life beyond college? When students are in, oftentimes in youth group and in college ministries, they are in this, he calls a pressure cooker of discipleship, where there are just myriad resources for them to draw from, including including community and people to go to. Uh, they know where to turn in the midst of these hard hard decisions and discussions um, and, and ideologies that they're facing. And, and that's what student ministries and college ministries are equipped to do because, because you know that uh, in the midst of those environments, you are facing those kinds of questions. So then you get launched beyond college and go into the workforce or get married and start having kids and whatever it might be, and things radically change. I remember the stark difference for me after college and after um, a graduate degree, barely having time uh, to sit and study God's Word in depth, not having access to all the incredible teaching that I had access to before. It, It just was kind of disorienting. And I felt like a failure as a believer. And I still wrestle with it today with two small kids and just feeling like, oh, I'm just not growing spiritually. But thankfully, I have uh, 
some incredible resources to turn to. And, and in fact, that's part of my job, but that is not true for the rest of the world. So this was just insightful and a great article that I would really recommend, even if you're not in student ministry, college ministry, I still think it will have some a way to apply to you. So I think that Taylor's piece here is good really for any season of life. Um, that that folks in our audience might be listening to, uh, whether you're a, a parent of a newborn or or maybe you are an older person who is serving as a, a mentor uh, to someone who is in their, their student years. But in uh, section three of his piece, uh, he talks about uh, young students, and he writes, both both college and high school students are urged to let go of the coattails of mom and dad's Christianity and make a personal decision for Christ. And college this often takes the form of choosing your own church and beginning to engage in personal spiritual disciplines, good things. And, you know, he goes on from, from there, but it just, it just reminds me of the significance and importance of parents uh, raising their young children and and just you know exemplifying uh, Proverbs twenty two train up a child in the way he should go uh, even when he is old he will not depart from it and 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 really just inculcating the importance of a Christian walk in life and in doing so helping to form and and shape that child for when they do become an older student so that they can truly withstand what this fallen world and and this fallen culture is is going to uh to send their way and so it's just it's vitally important that not only student ministers and and pastors read this but but really parents to understand what is coming for your children and the challenges that lay ahead for them well and i imagine every generation says it but it just seems like the world and the culture that I'm launching my children into, although that's not going to be for a very long time since my kids are small, uh, is just so much more complex than even what I grew up with, which was crazier than what my parents had experienced. So it just enforces... Um, I would say it, it seems like that to us, but previous generations have had their own unique challenges that they've had to overcome. And there's a lot of good examples of older Christians who've overcome those things. Definitely. Which is why I said every generation probably says it. However, other generations haven't had to deal with the sexual revolution and in its current iteration with transgenderism and et cetera. So it just, yeah, you never know what it's going to be, but it, it just enforces, reinforces the importance of training our children up in the way that they should go. And of course, the fruit that that bears is up to the Lord. And we plead to Him for mercy and that He would make our sons and daughters like pillars, you know, in His kingdom. And we entrust them to Him ultimately. And speaking of the sexual revolution, the final article that I wanted to highlight is by our former colleague, Andrew T. Walker. And it's titled, Why the Transgender Revolution Can't Transcend Human Nature. Latest report from Europe confirms males have an innate advantage in sports. And so, you know, we want to say, uh, duh, but that's kind of not the nice thing to say. And more and more in a confused society about issues of sexuality and gender identity, things like this are going to have to be proven from science, etc. And so I just wanted to read a quote to you from this report. 
Our work exploring the latest research, evidence, and studies made clear that there are retained differences in strength, stamina, and physique between the average woman compared with the average transgender woman or non-binary person registered male at birth with or without testosterone suppression. And so Andrew really hones in on this, these, this phrase, retained differences, and just says that this shows us that God has created us with an unchangeable human nature in that we were made male and female. And regardless of what you do, that that cannot be changed. And that won't change. And and you know what? The way that God made us as male and female is for our good. It is not for our oppression. And believing anything else and trying to live out anything else will lead to harm and will be destructive to the society. And as people much smarter than me have said, we have yet to see the fallout and just the devastation um, that the sexual revolution has, will be having on people in the midst of this transgender revolution and whatever else happens after that. Uh, because when you go against what God has designed, it, it does not lead to the path of life. It does not lead to an abundant life uh, at, at all. I mean, look, Andrew's credentials speak for themselves, and if you are a Christian out there and you are wanting to know more about the transgenderism, gender dysphoria, and how to think through all these things through a, a biblical framework, uh, Andrew is the go-to thinker uh, on, on these matters. And so, yeah, there's really not much more that uh, needs to be said uh, about Andrew, but if you're looking for even something, if this article piques your interest and you want to know more, Andrew has uh, an entire book on this, God and the Transgender Debate. It came out, I want to say in 2017, but much of the material, all of it is is still uh, incredibly relevant. And I think that would be really helpful. We should We should link to that in the show notes, as a matter of fact. It's a great idea, and you are welcome, Andrew. We we are helping send your kids to college, so you can thank us later. (laughs) Take us out to eat next time you come into town. (laughs) Somewhere good. (laughs) Anyway, so as you can see, once again, we have a great week of content, and we are just always so grateful to be able to equip ourselves, but equip you as our listeners and the readers uh, who visit our site with these resources to help you walk faithfully with the Lord in the midst of our culture. But for now, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. And moving into our culture section this week, Brent, what's been happening? Well, so it it kind of seemed to me that this was a a little bit of a slower week in in culture. You shouldn't say such things because then that means next week is going to blow up and I am going to be gone next week. So yeah, good luck with that. Well, that's going to be fine. Uh, so I guess I'm just going to do a monologue next week. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll start this week with uh, something that comes out of the National Football League. And uh, this story is the Associated uh, Press writing on it. And Las Vegas Raiders coach, it still seems weird saying that since they moved from Oakland. Their coach, John Gruden, has resigned uh, as the coach of the Raiders after emails he sent before being hired in 2018 contained racist, homophobic, and misogynistic comments. Gruden released a statement Monday night saying, I have resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. 
I'm sorry, I never meant to hurt anyone. He stepped down after the New York Times reported that Gruden frequently used misogynistic and homophobic language directed at Commissioner Roger Goodell and others in the NFL. The emails were discovered in a workplace misconduct investigation into the Washington football team, but ended up costing Gruden his job when they also showed that he had denounced the drafting of a gay player and the tolerance of players protesting during the playing of the national anthem, among other issues. There has been a lot of uh, talk and speculation this week uh, on, you know, sports websites and and sports radio shows about uh, just the fact that these particular emails uh, came out because, again, as the Associated Press wrote in, in that coverage, this was about the Washington, D.C. football team, formerly the, the Redskins, and uh, what has taken place there. And somehow these emails were surfaced. And, and many people think it was, it was on purpose. And there's just a lot of speculation out there as to, as to why Gruden would be at the center of it when there are issues that have come out of, of D.C.'s team. So uh, this is just, I mean, he is a big name head coach. Uh, the Raiders are one of the most popular teams uh, in the NFL. And so this this caught a, a lot of attention uh, this week. You know, there is no place for that kind of language or coarse joking or demeaning other people. I've got to say, you know, I wouldn't have thought that he would have gotten fired for that. But the fact that he was in trouble, didn't. this is just from a pure shallow perspective, I guess, didn't surprise me because he's always seemed like a really angry man to me. But I don't know him. But on on the field and just on uh, commentating and stuff, he just always rubbed me the wrong way in that sense. But yeah, in this day and age of social media connectedness, what you put out there on social media and what you put in email and things like that will come back to bite you. And of course, we shouldn't be putting out those different things that he was emailing about. But people can find it. It never goes away. That's a good lesson for all of us. So Count Lindsey Nicolay is not a fan of Chucky. That was his nickname. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I was not a fan. I, mm -mm. Gotcha. Well, it's just interesting to see. And and uh, obviously, I mean, again, this is an ongoing investigation. So it, it is interesting what else uh, will turn up. And it will be interesting if we find out that this was, an, uh, in fact, an intentional uh, leak of John Gruden's emails. So stay tuned for that. From CBS News, William Shatner, the 90-year-old veteran of countless imaginary space voyages playing Star Trek's Captain Kirk, blasted off for real Wednesday, becoming the oldest person to reach the final frontier in a PR bonanza for Jeff Bezos and his rocket company, Blue Origin. Over the course of 10 minutes and 17 seconds, Shatner and three crewmates took off atop a hydrogen-fueled rocket, climbed to the edge of space 65.8 miles up, and enjoyed three to four minutes of weightlessness along with spectacular views of Earth before plunging back to a gentle parachute-assisted touchdown. Shatner cautiously made his way down a few short steps after they landed to the ground and was warmly embraced by Bezos. The actor grew emotional and was occasionally at a loss for words, describing the flight to the man who made it possible. Quote, it was so moving to me, Shatner said, this experience is something unbelievable. 
I've got to say, I'm surprised every time these quote-unquote casual space flights come back safely. So I'm glad that he made it uh, and that he is back. I, I also confess, I've never seen an episode of Star Trek. I have. I have. And honestly, I I find his quote here, uh, this experience is something unbelievable. I, I, I find that to be unbelievable, given that he survived the wrath of Khan back in the 70s. That's Star Trek too, Lindsay. Oh, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> and he, he put down the Romulan uh, invasion. That's also... Oh, that's why you said Romulan early on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this- it's... Star Trek Two is that a movie? Yeah, that was a movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I have heard that term, but I don't know if it's Shaka Khan or. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not a I'm not a Trekkie, but my my dad used to watch it because it would come on in the afternoons, like right before Bonanza. Which I mean, talk about two totally different uh, genres there. So I do have somewhere in the recesses of my mind, some Star Trek kind of random things. I don't have that as much about Star Wars. That That's just never been a uh, thing for me. Now, see, that is just, you shouldn't speak such things. Are you, you're a Star Wars person? Well, I wasn't, but my husband likes Star Wars. I mean, he's not like a crazy Star Wars fan, oh. but he really likes uh, He Star gets dressed Wars. up, doesn't he? He does he? not. He, does, he, he does not get dressed yeah, he up. Does. So he goes, I, I can see I, Justin as R2-D2. Yeah. He and his brother did do a Star Wars marathon at the movie theater from like four to four. I don't even know, but it was craziness. But uh, so I decided when we got married, I would watch through all the Star Wars with him because I'd never seen the originals. And I've got to say, I became a fan. And then we watched Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. The Mandalorian yeah. was good, yeah. yeah. So I, you know what? I I have a newfound fondness for Star Wars. That is something I, I did not expect coming out of this episode. Yep. Okay. All right, well, it's October. Um, and uh, despite temperatures still being uh, slightly above average here in Tennessee, winter is coming at some point. And so this next uh, this next article is is probably important for all of us, uh, except for those of you in Florida and maybe South Texas. Uh, Reuters is reporting this: U.S. consumers will spend more to heat their homes this winter than last year due to surging energy prices. The U.S. Energy Information Administration projected in its Winter Fuels Outlook on Wednesday, energy prices have risen sharply worldwide causing power crunches in large economies like China and India. The United States has so far not seen the same effect, even though prices of fuels from natural gas to heating oil have risen to multi-year highs and will hit household finances as the weather turns colder. So let me just a stop gas, you real quick. Gas. You said na- natural gas and heating oil? What's heating oil? <laughs> yes. What is that? That's a uh, that's all. Oil. No, it's not. Yes, it's not oil. It doesn't it's have a Y. In oil. It. No, no. It's not like the last name Boyle. But uh, it is that, oil. That has a Y. But Boyle B O I L doesn't have a Y. <clears throat> so anyway, no, you bowl, you bowl eggs. No. Yes, you do. You don't bowl eggs. They would break. No, you don't <laughs> bowl them. You bowl them. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, so this is. Uh, I don't even... Looks like we're going to have to put on our parkas inside of our homes because (laughs) we want to keep our costs down. Don't you bump your heat up to like 78 in the winter or something? No, I I don't do that, but... um, What do you keep your house on in the In the wintertime? Yeah. Probably 70, 
three. Ooh, it's hot. I mean, I would love it to go warmer, but really, ain't, ain't made out of ain't made oh, ain't a money man. tree growing in the backyard. Ours in the middle is of winter. usually on sixty five. What? Because our upstairs gets warmer, but then you know when it hits the point of the winter where it. It's just really cold in your bones. Then it, we bump it up to maybe we'll get up to 68. I cannot stand to be hot with like fabricated heat. Your poor kids are going to have like <laughs> pneumonia. No, it's warmer upstairs. <laughs> well, that is just, that is a terrible way to live. So anyways. All right. Our final story comes from Baptist Press. And this is a new development on um, the the latest as it relates to the outside investigation into the SBC Executive Committee. Pastors from Texas, Oklahoma, and Washington join a CPA in making up the five-member Committee on Cooperation that will act as a liaison between the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, the Sexual Abuse Task Force, and Guidepost Solutions during the ongoing investigation over the possible mishandling of reports of sexual abuse in the SBC. The committee's formation came about as part of the contract to initiate the independent third-party investigation called upon by messengers at the 2021 SBC annual meeting and agreed upon by EC members October 5th. Per the guidepost contract, the committee will be led by SBC President Ed Litton, who also serve as a member. The rest of the group will consist of two members chosen by EC Chairman Roland Slade and two by the Sexual Abuse Task Force. Due to the scope of the investigation from January 1st, 2000 through June 14th, 2021, those members could not be part of the EC prior to this year's annual meeting. Roland Slade was, has named John Batts, a bivocational pastor from Washington, and Nancy Spalding, a layperson and CPA from Michigan, to serve, he said. The task force has chosen Oklahoma Pastor Mike Keebone and Texas Pastor Chris Dupree to serve on the committee. All four have agreed to serve. So, uh, needless to say, uh, things uh, continue apace uh, with uh, this this investigation, and and we're thankful uh, that that it is uh, continuing, and look forward to the uh, report that will be made uh, next summer at the 2022 SBC annual meeting. Well, and I'm. I think the committee is in good hands being led by SBC President Ed Litton and having the Sexual Abuse Task Force appoint two people and Roland Slade, who has just been a gentleman throughout this whole process as well, appointing two people. I think those Southern Baptists can be confident that the people who were appointing those members for the committee were good faith people. And so... I look forward to seeing um, the work that will be done, the trust, hopefully, that will be rebuilt that we have lost among so many, uh, especially survivors and so many um, victims of sexual abuse. And uh, that that report will be very important and I hope will be a hinge point for the SBC, a turning point uh, where, as we continually say, where our churches will be viewed as and truly will be safe for survivors and safe from abuse. That's right. So, Lindsay, uh, it was a somewhat slow week. So that is your look at this week being culture. And now it's time for the lunchroom, where we tell you what we're talking about with each other. Brent, you're up first. So I hope you have something good. So I've I've recently started uh, mixing in some uh, classic literature uh, in into my reading because uh, I'm I'm reading a lot of of history nowadays, anyways. But I'm I've decided to go because I have a hard time with kind of 
modern fiction. Like I just, I can't. You do? Oh. oh, I can't, I can't get into it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going back to classics. So this week, uh, the book that I've been reading is Beowulf. And I feel like, I, a, I just I feel like out there in the world, Karen Swallow Pryor right now is probably smiling because somebody is is mentioning you know classic literature. We should have her on the. We show. should. So, anyways, I, and and what? But what I love about Beowulf, which I I think the last time I read this was in high school, maybe. So when you uh, read yeah, Beowulf, uh huh, I think and so. so. But I guess what I just have never appreciated is th- there are references in Beowulf. Uh, to Christianity. And there is a debate amongst scholars about whether those Christian references are original to the poem uh, when it was verbally told. Because it didn't get transcribed until, you know, in the 900s, which I think is awesome crazy, that this yeah. thing survived mm-hmm. who knows how many centuries. And and so there's a debate amongst scholars about whether the the Christian references that are somewhat overt and somewhat applied, implied, excuse me, are native to when it was was first told. And so I stuff like that is just I love old history. Um, in particular, uh that that era in in Europe uh I, I think is is pretty fascinating. And so yeah. So I'm I'm reading Beowulf, and that that is my contribution to the lunchroom uh this week. You know what I want to say to you? Well, pin a rose on your nose. No, that's great. I want to get into the classics too. And for a while, our friend and colleague, Alex Ward, is very smart. And I was going to get him to help me read through some Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. I could not read through that. But he moved and it kind of ruined my plan and all that. So uh, <laughs> he decided to go, yes, you know, pursue his PhD. He, yes, exactly. And it didn't, it didn't really work with my schedule. <laughs> but I also want to read Count of Monte Cristo. And I've heard so many people say good things about that. And he said he would read through that with me. So we'll see if that even happens too. But well, so, here's what I'm guessing is y'all will begin. Alex uh, will be done three days later. Right, and, and I and, will be and, done three years and, later. And you'll be done in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. Well, as you're making your way through the classics, just let me know which ones are your favorite. I'm assuming it's not going to be Beowulf, but we'll see. Beowulf, I mean, it's apparently like one of the most translated uh, pieces of literature in, in history. Like it's, uh, I mean, that's, I don't know. I just think that's neat. Yeah, and, that is neat. Um, you know. Those kind of old tales of bravery of mm-hmm. warrior kings. Or, it is true. You know, they they stir something in in the heart in the hearts of men. <laughs> You're gonna start coming and in so. to the office. Just call me Beowulf, Brent. Well, Beowulf. okay. Well, if you need my recommendation on Shakespeare, Othello is my favorite. Okay. Yeah, Othello, Othello is absolutely my favorite. So. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna try one day. Okay. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> I need the kids' version. I have a kids' version of Shakespeare. Um, Shakespeare writings for Marion one day that I got at the at Goodwill or something. So maybe I need to start there. So my lunchroom is the documentary on HBO Max about Remnant Fellowship, mm. which is a cult here in our area. It's in Brentwood. Brentwood, like, Tennessee. Brentwood, yeah. Tennessee. It's about 20 minutes outside of Nashville. The documentary is called The Way Down, and it is just crazy. There are three episodes now. There will be two more in 2022 because I don't know if it was while they were filming or while they were just getting it ready after they had filmed 
a plane crash happened and at the beginning of this year, and seven of the leaders died, including the founder, Gwen Shamblin Laura, and her husband, who was her new husband, which you'll find out in this documentary, and um, some others. So tragic that seven people died. But what was going on, if everything that they have have reported in this documentary is true. It is just wild. And it's especially crazy when this happening right under your nose in your backyard. Uh, so it's pretty astonishing. And and uh, I would highly recommend watching the documentary. Yeah, uh, my wife and I, we, we watched it um, the other night and got right through all three episodes. We were so engrossed in it because I, it, is, it is something that it's happening and it has happened uh, right here in our backyard. I did not realize that uh, this lady was uh, who started this is originally from Memphis. Um, yes, and from Tennessee. Yeah, and, and uh, went to, went to school over in East Tennessee, and is is now founded this. It, it's a it's a beautiful facility. Mm-hmm. The outside is yeah. At least. It's got this you know kind of old world uh, feel to it, uh, but the things that they're talking about in there are. Just a whole, I mean, I mean. Crazier than the height of her hair. And if you haven't watched the documentary, you'll know what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, Which that thing progressively got higher as as she got further and further away from the the true gospel. Right. Um, But gosh, I mean, it just, I think one of the things, it it was very sad the way that these people were being led astray. And it just, it makes me appreciate pastors whether you are in a small church as a bivocational pastor that is just faithfully leading 20 members of a congregation, or uh, you're leading a, a mega church in some suburb of 8,000 people, like if you are staying true to scripture and, and you are just presenting the gospel faithfully each and every week, like I'm just, I'm just so thankful. Uh, for you all who are are trying to to help shepherd your congregations, because there are so many false prophets and grifters and people who are just out there actively uh, trying to lead people astray, and, and sadly there there are so many people that that fall uh, sway to that. It's just it is sad. And it is terrible. Yeah, and we should pray that the Lord would. Um, open open their eyes to the truth. And it reminds me of uh, Psalm 19. It says, I had pulled it up to, this is the NIV version that says, uh, starting in verse 12, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. And it just reminds me that, may that be our prayer that the Lord would keep us back from from hidden faults and from willful sins that we would walk faithfully with him. And uh, just reminds me of the kindness of him to help us to persevere in the faith and to continue in the faith once for all handed down to the saints. Because yeah, if it wasn't for his grace keeping us, we would we would be led astray oh, too and our eyes would yep. be blinded. And yes. so yes. anyway, so yeah, you can pray for Remnant Fellowship as you think about it and as you watch that documentary. Well, I think that's probably a good place to end, Brent. And just a reminder, listeners, you can find links to all of the things we talked about today in the show notes. 
And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. And in addition to listening to this podcast each week, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday, and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and culture. And if you like staying informed about important policy issues that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.